0: As I was thinking this morning about this message, there was a strange nervousness that kinda of came on me. I'm nervous any time I preach as I should be. I have a there's a certain amount of fear that we have when we step into a pulpit and proclaim God's word. But this was a, you know, a There was a different sort of nervousness, and I thank the music team this morning because the songs reminded me of one thing. I will preach Christ crucified, and if that's all I do, then that's enough, and that's what I was reminded of, and and, um, it, it gave me a peace. The songs were fantastic. Um, and it's amazing how well they fit with the message this morning. If you would turn to Galatians, the book of Galatians, we will start in chapter six. I'm very thankful to see we have a lot of visitors here today. We have some college students who have returned that we haven't seen in a while, so it's good to see that. And we have some, I think some visiting college students and some visiting families and that such a blessing. To have visitors, we're we're glad you're here. In verse 6, in the book of Galatians, let me open with prayer and then we'll get into this. Father, I do thank you, God, for the reminder you just gave me of the gospel. And I pray, God, that through this message that same reminder to go would go to all those who are here. Lord, that it is you who has saved us. And I pray, God, that if there's any here who are not saved, that you would use this day, that you would use this time to open their eyes, open their hearts, God, and draw them into your fold, Lord, so that they... Can They could see the glory of Christ that they could see the glorious of the God the glory of the gospel Lord And I just thank you for that that you've extended to me in Jesus name Amen So I started the book of Galatians the last time I preached and we went through a little bit and if uh, There's a lot of people who weren't here. So I'll kind of give a little bit of a Background of what this book is to me This is the book that I read that God called me to faith in Christ. I was raised in a legalistic manner. I, I depended on my actions and my obedience so that I could be saved. And um, I realized at one point, I was about 23 years old probably, that I had never read through an entire book of the Bible. All I had was my pet verses And I could go to here and I could go to there and I could try to make my point. And I realized I didn't know near as much as I thought I was when I was asked some questions that I couldn't answer. And so I read the book of Galatians. And when I got through this small book of Galatians, there was a realization there that I was wrong about a lot of things. God's word is powerful. Um, when you start reading it, it has the ability to change your life. And so that's what the book of Galatians did for me. The first part of the book was, it's kind of a quick introduction. And remember, remember this book, Paul introduces it different than he does his other books. There's more of an urgency. He doesn't spend the time um, kind of praising them and building them up that he does in other books. And I think it's because of the urgent situation that is, that he is addressing. And we're going to get into a little bit of that today. So we'll start in verse six. He says, I marvel that you are turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel. He says, I marvel. Paul is astonished. He's amazed. That they are so quickly turning away. Now remember, Paul went to Galatia. These are churches that Paul established. He was there. He was the evangelist. He went into the streets. He went into the synagogues. He went into wherever it was and preached the true gospel. People were saved. Churches were established. That's how this happened. And so he knows these people. He planted these churches. And now he's been hearing these things about what's going on. And he says, I am I'm shocked. I'm amazed that you are turning away. That word turning away in the Greek, it means to change sides. It's the same word that they would use for military desertion. Treason. It's a strong word. It's not like they're kind of just veering off here. That's, that's the point he's making here. You're not just kind of off balance a little bit, you know, kind of messing with some things. No, he's saying you are switching sides. You're committing treason against the king. He says, I'm amazed at this. And he says, so soon. And the Greek in this, in, when you talk about so soon, it can either mean easily or quickly. And I think in the context here, it means both. Why are you, how How are you so easily being convinced against what I taught you. I planted that church. I told you the truth, and now quickly and so easily, you're switching sides. He's amazed at that. Now, and he's amazed that they would so quickly desert this living God. The army of the living God, if you would use that term. And I thought about, you know, are there ever good reasons for treason? Treason against a country? Yeah. Yeah, are there reasons, are there a good reason to commit treason against an earthly king? Sure. Sure, the king may be evil. There may be a time when we have to turn against our country because it becomes so corrupt and so evil. Would that be possible? Sure. Why? Because these are evil, these are sinners running this country, running other countries, running kingdoms at that time. But what shocks Paul, what makes this so amazing is they're turning away away from the one who gave them life. And not only the one who gave them life in the beginning, but they're also turning away from the one who gave them new life, gave them true life. So there's no logical reason to do this. He's shocked, and then and, and and then look closely here. It says, "Turning away so soon from Him, not what, not where, but who they are turning away from. They're turning away from God." And make no mistake. In this particular case, with true doctrine. Turning away from the true gospel, turning away, and we'll get into exactly what he's talking about, but turning away from true doctrine is turning away from God himself. That's what Paul is making very clear here. And that's why we will tell you, and you've heard it said here, and you'll hear us say it in Bible studies and prayer meetings, and you'll hear it over and over again. We do not forsake truth for unity. We don't do it. That's pleasing men rather than God. Truth is the substance for which we stand. Truth is the substance for which we are saved. So Paul is astonished that they're deserting God who called them, who called you. And that's what he says. He says, so soon from him who called you. Now, he's writing this to the churches of Galatia. But I fear, and I wonder if there's some here who are in a similar situation to those churches in Galatia. There are lots of situations, lots of different belief systems out there that mirror the Galatians, They mirror the Judaizers. I was part of one. Okay? I understand this well, and there's others out there that are very similar. And, And he's saying... So soon from him who called you. And if you are a Christian today, then that means God has called you. He has a purpose for you. You didn't come here by yourself. You didn't make it here on your own. God has called you to this. And, and notice this, too. He says, who has called you? He wasn't like a shotgun blast making a call And then those, just certain ones, would respond. Right? No, he says you specifically. If you are a Christian, he has called you, Dylan. He's called you, Boyd. Right? Just like when Jesus stood before the tomb, when Lazarus was dead. I don't know if you've heard this said, but he says, Lazarus, come forth. Why did he say Lazarus? Because if he would have said, come forth, everybody would have come out of the grave. Right, He specifically called Lazarus. It was not a shotgun blast, let's throw a net and see what we get. No, he had a specific purpose for each and every one of us. And the question is then, in this same verse, what did God call you to? It says, "So I marvel that you are turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of... Of Christ. Turn with me to Romans. Romans chapter 3. Look at verse 23. This is a verse that is quoted a lot. It's part of the Romans road, if you've heard of the Romans road. It says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Every single one, every single person has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But what have we been called to? The grace of Christ. Listen to what it says. Being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus Whom God set forth as a propitiation by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness. Because in his forbearance, God had passed over the sins that were previously committed to demonstrate at the present time his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. So what has God called the Galatians to? Grace in Christ being freely justified. The term justified is a is a legal term. It means to be justified. It means to be your your crimes are forgiven. They're put away. They're no longer there. It's like a pardon, but better. Okay. He's saying you have been freely justified. John MacArthur says it like this. He says God's to the grace of Christ is God's free and sovereign act of mercy in granting salvation through the death and resurrection of Christ, totally apart from human work or merit. That's what you've been called to. That's what we've been called to. That's what the church at Galatia had been called to, the believers who were there. It's free. It's the free grace of Christ. And then he says... To a different gospel, the end of the verse, to a different gospel. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. To understand a different gospel, we must understand the true gospel. And it's simply put here in 1 Corinthians 15 Verse 3, this is the gospel. He says, For I, and this is still Paul, this is writing to the church at Corinth, he says, For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. So, simply put, the gospel is the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He died in our place. Back in Romans, it was the propitiation. That's a big word. Big fancy word, propitiation. What does it mean? It means He took our place. It's like, we, we call it the great exchange. It's when God looked down. And you remember when Christ was on the cross. And He cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And that was the point. That was the point in time. Where the wrath of the Father was poured out on God the Son. He received the punishment. The, we cannot understand that. Here's why we can't understand that. If the full wrath of God was poured out on any one of us, it would absolutely annihilate us and destroy us. We could not take it. it that's why it takes an eternity in hell for us to pay for our own sins. All of eternity it will take. Christ bore it all at once in a moment on the cross. And in exchange, this is the propitiation. In exchange, he gives you his righteousness. It's imputed to you. It is given. It is not something that you can earn. So when when God looked down on Christ, when Jesus said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? God looks down on that cross. He had to look away. Why? Because the entire sin of the entire world, of everyone who would believe, was put on Christ. And that's all God saw. Was sin. And then when that righteousness is imputed to you, and God looks down. That's why I love that last song that Boyd sang. You are redeemed no matter what you feel. You're redeemed when God looks down on you now. All he sees is the righteousness of Christ. If you've put your faith in Christ. You're covered. It's atonement. He doesn't see you anymore for who you are. He sees who Christ covering you. That is good news. That is incredible. That means you cannot fail. That song, it says, stop fighting a fight that has already been won. It was won on the cross, and you cannot add to it, and you cannot take away from it. That's the gospel. And Paul is astonished. He preached that. And if you know Paul very well from reading his writings, you get to feel like you know him. You know that he preached it. You know he didn't leave anything out. He covered it. He covered it over and over again. And now he's astonished. He's amazed. You're turning away from that? You're going to try to add to that? You're going to try to add to this perfect life that Christ lived? No, in verse 7 he says, which is not another. He says, you're turned to another gospel. He says, which is not another. It's not another at all. That gospel you're deserting God for, it's not a gospel at all. What's the word gospel mean? It means good news. So these so-called gospels that Paul is talking about here, they're not good news at all. Why not? Because if you follow them, we're going to see it just in just a minute. If you follow them... You'll be doomed. That's the opposite of gospel. It's not another gospel, and, but it, but he says there's people coming in to try to trouble you. The word trouble, it's like troubled waters here. It's like a stirring up. And it's not like it's it's not. This is not the description he has given here. Is not like the glassy water, and you throw a little rock out there, and it makes a little ripple, and the ripples go a little ways and you know pretty soon there's a little bit no that's not what he's talking about you ever been to the lake and there's like a you get in a boat and you just tear it up as much as you can round and round circles s curves you're pulling a tuber you're trying to throw them off and pretty soon the waves are going about every direction you can imagine not one of them's going the same way and there is no significant, there, there is no way you can see a picture of glass on that lake. That's what he's describing here. That's what goes on in the heart of those who are torn on this subject. That's what's going on in the heart for those who are trying to proclaim grace, but on the other side trying to do something to earn it. I've been there. I've had that happen inside me. It is a troublesome thing. I looked fine on the outside. Right? I was like the duck, looked cool on the top. My little feet were going like this underneath, right? There was, there was a discontentment. There was, there was terrible trouble inside me because I was trying. I would say I was saved by grace. And what that really meant was I had enough grace so that I could earn my salvation on the other side. And I was troubled. And you will be too. And that's what those people were coming in and doing. They were troubling. Trying to add law to grace troubles the soul. And then it says they want to pervert the truth. To twist it. To change it for meaning. It's no longer means what it says it means. And trust me, I would do that. Matter of fact, that time I was in the meeting meeting where Ronnie was resigning as elder from this church. I made the statement. I said, we all agree we're saved by grace, right? Well, they didn't. I thought I did. I had perverted the word grace. I had changed its meaning. Grace, when I said grace, when I said we're saved by grace, if I would have explained it, they actually wouldn't have been Too much against me. They would have said something similar. But they didn't use the word grace. But when I said I was saved by grace, what that meant was there was enough grace on me that I could do good enough. And if I did good enough with the help of that grace, I could be saved. Does that cause troublesome in the heart? Because the problem was I was 23 years old and I had never done good enough. And that's perversion. That's taking the word. They're perverting the truth. They're saying it's a gospel, but it's not a gospel. They're saying it's grace, but it's not grace. And it reminds me, you remember in the Garden of Eden, when the serpent is talking to Eve, and he's telling her, you know, she's saying all this stuff about the fruit, and she says, but this one, if we eat of that or if we touch it, we will not die. And Satan, what did he say? Or the serpent? You will not die. She says, if we eat this tree, we will die. He says, you will not die. And then he goes and he twists God's words. And the same thing happened. He, he is a master at this. This is what he does. This is what he was doing in my life. And this is what he'll do in your life if you're not careful. If you're not dedicated to the Word of God, to the reading of Scriptures in context. If you start reading pieces here and pieces there like I did, he'll do this. Same way whenever Jesus was out in the wilderness being tempted. Satan was twisting the Word of God, twisting it. And what did Jesus do? He would answer it correctly. He would answer it with truth. That's what Paul is doing here. He's correcting this twisting, this perversion that's happening. He writes this letter to correct it. And then in verse 8, Back in Galatians. Galatians chapter 1 verse 8 is a statement. It's like the sledgehammer dropping down. He says, you believe this other gospel? You believe this false, this fault, this lie? He says, but even if we were an angel from heaven... Preach any other gospel to you than what we have preached to you. Let him be accursed. He's using an extreme example here. I don't care if an angel from heaven flies down here and tells you some other gospel than what we have preached initially, than what established this church here, than what the truth of God's word says throughout it. Let him be accursed. The word, a curse there, it's anathema. It means to be damned. Let him be damned. It also means this. It also means if somebody is doing this, let them be excommunicated. Let them be cut off from fellowship. Treat them as an unbeliever. So I don't care if it's me. And please, if it's me, confront me. If I start leaning that way. Confront me. If I go and twist completely, confront me, please. If it's any other elder, if it's anybody else here, if it's anybody on TV, if it's anybody on the radio, in another church, or an angel from heaven comes down here and preaches you anything, preaches to you any other gospel than grace alone in Christ alone, let him be damned, and cut him off from all fellowship. It doesn't matter if you saw a hand come out and write it on that wall over there. You know, it's really too bad our Mormon and Muslim friends didn't read this verse before establishing entire religions based on what an angel told them. You know, that's how the Muslim religion got started. An angel supposedly came and talked to Muhammad. And Paul would tell that angel, be damned. Same with the one that spoke to Joseph Smith. You are anathema. Get out. And then he repeats it again in verse 9. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone preaches any other gospel to you, Than what you have received, let him be accursed. And notice there it says, as we have said before, this is not the first time the church at Galatia has heard these words. This is not the first time he has addressed this problem. As we have said before. And it also shows you that Paul is not the only one who has preached this to him. As we, we, the, the people who are preaching the truth, have said before. Do not listen to these false doctrines. What do these false doctrines sound like today? We'll talk more later as we go on into the book of Galatia, what they sounded like in that time. It was all about the law, the law of Moses. Today, you'll find those exact same people, those exact same ideas about we have to keep the law, have to keep the feast, we have to keep the Sabbath, we have to keep the... It goes on and on. But... Today, especially around here, we hear it it sounds a lot different. Not a lot different. If, If you really examine it, it's about the same. But if you really heard the true logic of what the people say would be something like this. I've got really good news for you. People have gospel meetings. Right? I've got good news for you. You can make it to heaven. All right. That's good news. I want to go to heaven. Everybody wants to go to heaven, right? So here's the good news. You can make it there. You don't have to spend eternity in hell. Okay. All you got to do is keep this list of commandments. All right. Lay them on me. Right? What what are they? I can do it. It's kind of like when the rich young ruler came to Christ. He says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And he gives him the list. And it's basically the last, or the, about six through nine, I think, commandments. It's all the external stuff. It's all the stuff that you can see. You shouldn't lie. You shouldn't steal, right? So honor your mother and father. And he says, all of this I have done from my youth. And then Jesus actually brings forth the tenth one. Which actually ties back to the first four. He says you lack one thing. Sell everything you own and go serve God. That's paraphrased. Not a direct quote. Sell it all. Give your life completely to Christ. Give your life completely to God. That's the first four commandments. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength and mind. But that's not the commandments that they give you. You say lay them on me. And they give you more of the, like the list that, they, that he gave the rich young ruler to start with. And it may be something like, well, you have to be baptized. Now, let me make something clear before I go any farther. When I say these things are not necessary for salvation, that does not mean I don't think they're necessary. They're absolutely necessary. The obedience of Christ is 100% necessary. When I say works aren't necessary for salvation, if that's what you're looking for, then you're not saved. If you're looking for a salvation that you can go ahead and sin, or if you're looking for a salvation that you don't have to go do things for Jesus, then you're not saved, okay? If that's what you want. Because works are going to come out of that salvation. Obedience is going to come out of that salvation. The difference is you're going to want to do it. You're going to be pleased to do it. You're going to yearn to do it. It is amazing to think about from the point when I read this whole book of Galatians and somewhere within the next few months was saved. And to the point now, I look at some of the things I've done. Didn't think about it at all at the time, but I would look forward to going to prison. I really did every week and sitting down with prisoners. Well, that is I was not doing it to be saved. I knew I was saved. I had no doubt I was saved. Why would I do that? I loved God. And these men would talk about the word of God. And so I would go and I would sit with them and I would talk. So when I say these things are not necessary for salvation, they're absolutely not. God does the saving. After he saves you, you become one of his and then you do what he does. Have you guys seen the movie Blindside? There's a cool line in that movie. Um, At the end of the movie, if you haven't seen it, it, it's about this family that adopts this big time football player. Big guy, and true based on a true story. He's still playing in the NFL today, but um, they take him in, and he had had nothing, absolutely nothing. His mom was basically a crackhead and didn't know who his dad was. And but they take him in, he becomes this big time high school football player. Everybody wants him to go to college there. He winds up going to that family were big Miss was it Mississippi State or Ole Miss? Ole Miss. Big time, Ole Miss. They were grads. They had one of them was a cheerleader, you know, all this stuff. Their whole family. They were an Ole Miss family, and they wanted him to go to Ole Miss. Of course, he's a big time offensive lineman. One of the probably one of the highest recruits in the country, and so they're convincing him to go there, you know. And you see all this stuff going on, and at the end, he commits to Ole Miss, and the NCAA is giving him. They got him in the room, and they're. Basically, interrogating him. Why do you want to go there? Why do you want to go there? And they're saying they start telling him that the reason that family brought you in was so that they could convince you to go to Ole Miss. They're trying to say it was a recruiting ploy. It was a, and he got all flustered and ran out and disappeared for a while, and then finally he the the mom finds him again talks to him and says, you know, we never even thought to ask you, do you even want to play football? And he goes, yeah, I want to play. And she goes, well, you go wherever you want to. And um, he says, no, I'm going to Ole Miss. So he goes back and tell, he's interviewing the second time. And the lady's like, he said, you weren't asking the right questions. She said, He said, all you ever did was ask why everybody else wanted me to go to Ole Miss, but you never asked why I wanted to. And she goes, well, why Why did you want to go to Ole Miss? And he says, that's where my family goes to school. It's where my whole family goes. That's the way it is with God's work. When you're adopted into his kingdom, you do what God does. You do what his family does. And it's because you want to. It's not because you feel pressured to go to school there. He wanted to go there because he wanted to be like his new dad. He wanted to be like his family. That's the way it is as we're adopted into Christ. It's not to get adopted. And see, what's awesome about that story, at least the way the movie portrays it is, that family took him in, didn't care about football and when you watch the movie, he's just this kid. He's really big kid, but he's just a kid out in the cold, and they just take him in. And that's what God did for us. They didn't know he had something to offer. Well, here's the newsflash. We don't have anything to offer. Anything we give afterwards is because God gives it to us. So God comes and gets us when we have nothing to offer. And then out of that flows works. Later, So, he says, as we have said before, uh, oh, so the false doctrines, they sound like this. Got good news for you. What are, those, what are those commandments that they want you to keep? I said sometimes it's baptism. You can't be saved until you obey in baptism. And it usually doesn't stop there. Where I was raised, it was until you obey in baptism and have the laying on of hands so that you can receive the Holy Ghost. So now my obedience doesn't just depend on me, but it depends on the preacher who's going to lay his hands on me. In other places, it may be you can't be saved until you take communion. That was an ordinance given by God. He said to take this in remembrance of him. We're going to take communion today. So once again, it's not that we don't believe it's important. We do. It's not for salvation. It may be that you have to live a certain life. Some places will tell you, you have to wear sleeves down to here. And if you're not wearing sleeves down to here, then you may not be saved. You, If you're cutting your hair, ladies, that's part of your salvation. Or it may be that you have to come to a particular church or denomination. And if you're not part of that, then you're not saved. Turn over to Matthew. Look at Matthew chapter 7, verse 21. This used to haunt me. It would haunt me. That troubled waters, when I would read this, the water would be troubled. It was the double scarab cutting up the water. Matthew 21, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. And listen to twenty-two many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And he says, And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. I would read that and I would think, That could be me. That could be me. The reality was, it was me. I was trying to do these things. But look at what they say. Have we not done this? Have we not done this? Have we not done this? You can put in anything you want to in there, and it will be the same answer. But God, look at me. I was baptized. I took communion. I went to church every Sunday. I didn't cut my hair. I wore long sleeves. And He'll say, depart from me. Why? Because they're saying, me, 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 me. What it doesn't say is, it never says anywhere in Scripture, there will be one that stands in front of me on that last day that says, it's by Christ and Christ alone. He will not say, depart from me, if that's what you're standing on. He will say, welcome in my son, welcome in my daughter. And that's what Paul is getting across. It is by Christ alone. If you're depending on your prayer, if you're depending on your baptism, if you're depending on your mom and dad's that took you to church, Sunday school teacher, whatever it is that you're putting your faith in, if it's not Christ alone, you will be damned. And I don't want that for you. Repent. Repent and put your faith in Christ. That's what he said.